0: Welcome to another mini deep dive, where we don't go song by song and story by story through an album, but we just pick one song by itself. We'll jump back into another deep dive with Jennifer Knapp's 1998 major label debut, Kansas, very soon. In the meantime, here's another mini deep dive on an old song with a fascinating story. Enjoy. Susan Warner was eight years old when her sister, Anna, was born on Long Island in New York. Life was good for the Warner sisters. Dubbed the era of good feelings, national pride and unity were a new high for this burgeoning nation in the shadows of the War of 1812. The Warner family lived in the upper crust of New York society, Mr. Warner a successful attorney, and Mrs. Warner enthralled in the elite circles of high fashion. The era of good feelings for the Warner Girls, however, was short-lived as their mother passed away early in their childhood. By the time they were of marrying age, their father had lost all of his wealth through a series of poor investments and subsequent lawsuits. The family, which now included their aunt, who moved in after their mother's passing, moved into a meager home on Constitution Island across the river from West Point Academy. As part of the growing Sunday school movement, started by famed evangelist Dwight L. Moody, Susan and Anna began teaching cadets from West Point. Each Sunday afternoon, a group of young cadets would row across the river and dock at the Warner residence, where the sisters would lead them in weekly studies. In order to help make ends meet, the two sisters, who never married, turned to writing. Short stories, poems, and novels— mostly fiction and always about their faith. The most commercially successful work was Susan's novel, The Wide, Wide World, penned under the pseudonym Elizabeth Wetherell in 1850. Often cited as America's first bestseller, it was second in circulation for that time period, only to the anti-slavery novel Uncle Tom's Cabin by Harriet Beecher Stowe, which came out two years later. While each sister was credited with writing over 30 novels apiece, they often wrote in collaboration. One such novel was Say and Seal, penned by Susan in 1860. The book tells the story of a young, impressionable, but bright woman named Faith, who, through great resolution and determination, is able to avoid the dangers and evil around her. Drawing on biblical wisdom and quotes throughout, say and seal was lauded for infusing Christianity in the context of a drama that was both relatable and easy to understand. Nestled in the midst of faith's journey is a scene that might have just as easily gone unnoticed. Mr. Linden, the protagonist Sunday school teacher, whose purpose was to keep faith pointed in the right direction, was tending to a young boy who was on his deathbed. As Susan was writing the story, she needed a simple poem that Mr. Linden could sing to comfort the boy, so she asked Anna if she could write one. A short time later, Anna returned with a finished poem, and there, in the seventh chapter, the scene plays out with these words. And for a while, then Faith had nothing to do but to look and listen, to listen to the soft, measured steps throughout the room to watch the soothing, resting effect of the motion on the sick child. As wrapped in Mr. Linden's arms, he was carried to and fro. She could tell how it wrought from the quieter, unbent muscles, from the words which by degrees Johnny began to speak. But after a while, one of these words was, Sing. Mr. Linden did not stay his walk, but though his tone was almost as low as his footsteps, Faith heard every word. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. And with those words, along with three more stanzas, the world was introduced to the song, Jesus Loves Me. Though not the music just yet, that would be added two years later by a New York City composer named William Bradbury who happened upon the poem while reading the novel. He also added the refrain, Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. By the end of the 19th century, the song had traveled around the world so successfully that it was even titled in hymnals as China, with the subtitled note, their favorite hymn. Susan and Anna continued holding Bible classes every Sunday afternoon for the cadets at West Point Academy until their deaths, first Susan in 1885 and Anna 30 years later. Among the cadets in Anna's final Sunday school class in 1915 was a young private from Kansas, future President Dwight D. Eisenhower. Fast forward nearly 30 years after Anna's passing to the middle of the Second World War. Native Pacific Islanders rescued a group of United States Marines when their boat sunk off the coast of the Solomon Islands. During the rescue, the Grateful Marines, which included a young lieutenant and future president, John F. Kennedy, began to sing Jesus Loves Me, joining the Native Islanders who had been taught the song from missionaries decades before. Susan and Anna Warner are laid to rest at West Point the only two civilian women among the rows of generals, soldiers, and astronauts. Their home on Constitution Island is now a museum, honoring the sisters for their faithful dedication of teaching cadets for 50 years and for giving the world a simple little hymn about God's enduring love.
1: Jesus loves me,
0: this I know.
1: Sing on the upper way Always guide me Lord, I pray Undeserving and stubbornly